0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Elon Musk for president. This is going to be my new write-in vote to come up the next election cycle. Before you go off the rails here, just hold on a second. Let me explain to you why, because it's good for capitalism. Over the weekend, there was a bit of a Twitter exchange between Elon Musk and Bernie Sanders. But I have to go back a little bit in time here to talk about the brilliance of this conversation and I don't even know if Elon Musk actually even realizes what he did here. And but as I got to thinking about what he what he said, and and we talk about where the economy is headed, of course, and you know this whole push by the social democrats to try to change the capitalistic system to much more socialism in nature, I got to thinking about what Elon Musk said, and why this is something that we should encourage more CEOs to do. And and I'll tell you, the the one thing about capitalism, and we talk about capitalism on the show a lot because it's it's the goose that laid the golden egg. You know, we talk about, you know, the wealth that's been generated in this economy over the last, you know, 200 years relative to countries around the world that have been around much longer than the U.S. And the U.S. has wealth that is head and shoulders above every other country in the world. And there's a reason for that. And over the course of the last, you know, few years and really ever since uh, Barack Obama took office, there's been a real push to get the wealthy to pay more in taxes. Right. The wealthy need to pay their fair share. Well, it sounds great. Right. And I'm just trying to get votes. So I say these idiotic things. To try to really, you know, muster up the votes so people will vote for me. The wealthy pay about 90% of all the taxes already. So exactly what is their fair share? 100% of the taxes? Okay. It's not that much more than they're paying now. But it's not the tax rate that's the problem. It's the tax code that's the problem. And it's okay, though, because even let's just presume for a moment that the the wealthy pay 100% of the taxes, right? So the top 10%, they're going to pay 100% of the taxes. It's not going to make much uh, difference than it is now. And guess who winds up still getting hurt? The guy at the bottom end. Because those at the top end, the top 10 and 20% of the economy, they're the ones that are the job creators. So you raise taxes on them. They're going to raise the cost of goods. And that gets passed down to the little guy who has to pay more. So whether or not the little guy, and look, the bottom 50% of the population pays no income tax, and and the the lower 20% actually get money back from the government every year, and they're still being impacted by taxes because of higher cost to them. And they have to pay more of their income for the things that they want. So it really doesn't, you know, a lot of this is just nonsense in terms of, Policy, but it is what gets votes, right? It gets it gins up the voter at at the time with the elections, like, yeah, I I want change. I want a better, fairer tax system, you know, I want more stuff from the government. And so, of course, you know, we're trying to pass now these spending boondoggle bills of massive proportions and we want to give more people more money right we like this the social democrats like this right we want to give people more money free child care free you know paid leave and uh, you know all these other give me's right free college tuition all these things Right? we're going to give you more money sounds great somebody's got to pay for it who's going to pay for it the wealthy need to pay for it all these rich billionaires that don't pay any taxes they need to they need to pay for this Okay. Why don't billionaires pay taxes? Let's talk about Elon Musk for a second. We actually touched on this last week. If you have a major corporation publicly traded and you're a big shareholder, and as Elon Musk you know, said in a, in a tweet last week we discussed, he says, look, I don't have an income and I don't take a bonus. All I have is my stock. And, of course, we've talked about the problem with stock buybacks and these type of things because a lot of executives are – compensated a lot by stock. But see, the problem is they can't sell it. Because if they go out to sell it, that impacts the markets, right? If if the market gets with that Elon Musk is selling his shares, oh my gosh, Elon Musk must think something's wrong with his company. That's why he's selling his stock. Maybe I better sell too. And the price goes down. So what they do is they take their stock, they go to the bank, and you think if Elon Musk walks into a bank, JP Morgan is an example, and then he says, hey, you know what? I need like million. I want to buy a house and a jet and a car. You think a bank has any problem loaning them money? Of course not. They say, give me your stock as collateral and you can have all the money you want, right? You're worth $180 billion. Sure, I'll loan you $500 million on your stock. Charge you 3% interest. Now, think about this for a second. I can get a loan from the bank at 3% interest against my stock, or I can sell my stock, potentially take the risk of driving the stock price down, and pay 20%. For the privilege of selling the stock in the company that I built, capital gains tax. What do you think they're going to do? It's what all rich people do. Rich, you know, CEOs of companies they do this all the time. That's how they get their liquidity out of their business without actually selling their shares. But Elon Musk did something brilliant a couple of uh, last week. He said he went to Twitter and he said, "Hey, Twitter, is it okay if I sell some stock because?" I need to pay my taxes. <laughs> you know, there's this there's this whole movement now by the government. The government says, hey, you know, these rich people need to pay tax on their capital gains, even if it's unrealized. They haven't even realized their gain yet, but we need to tax them on that anyway. So if you have an unrealized gain, you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on that unrealized gain. And so... Elon Musk said, "Okay, if you're going to tax me on my unrealized gains, I'll make it realized. I'll take it at 20%. Goes to Twitter, asks Twitter's permission. Twitter gives him permission. He sells it. The stock is down eh, 10, 11, 12% over the last couple of weeks. Now, he sold it. He sold you know 20 billion dollars worth of stock, whatever it was. Stock price is down 10, 20%. Now, over the weekend, no, So think about this for a second, right? So I'm a shareholder now. The stock price is down." And because he sold shares. Okay, no, no problem with that, right? I understand what's going on. Nobody's panicking. But let me, let me bring something up to you. Ron Wyden, Democrat congressman. Whether or not the world's wealthiest man pays any taxes at all shouldn't depend on the results of a Twitter poll. It's time for billionaire's income tax. Of course, it didn't take long for Bernie Sanders to jump into the middle of this. He says, We must demand that the extremely wealthy pay their fair share. Period. Awesome. This is why I'm voting for Elon Musk for president. He tweeted back to him. I keep forgetting you're still alive. That's not why. It was the second tweet that he followed up with. He says, Want me to sell more stock, Bernie? Just say the word. Here's why this is a brilliant tactic, and it shows you what the risk is to what these social democrats want, right? So we have all these people invested in the stock market. We've got the Fed trying to pop up, prop up the stock market. Bernie Sanders, I'm sorry, Elon Musk asked permission from Twitter to sell some stock, put made it public notice before he ever sold. He says, "Look, I don't have an income or a bonus, and." If you want me to pay taxes and, and pay for i got to sell some stock. Is it okay? Yes, it's okay, Elon. Sell some stock. He sold some stock. Man, public notice. And the stock is down 10 11 12%. Now, can you imagine what happens to the stock market now once these Democrats start to demand that these billionaires pay a tax on unrealized capital gains? They're all going to sell. You know what happens to the stock market? What Elon Musk said, want me to sell some more stock, Bernie? Just say the word. Stock's already down 10 12%, 12%. Want me to sell some more stock? No problem. I got $180 billion worth of stock to sell. What would be the price of Tesla if he continues to sell his stock? And then can you imagine what happens to the stock market and capitalism once you began to impose... Taxes on the wealthy on an unrealized capital gain basis. And they all start selling without asking permission. What Elon Musk did was show exactly what we've talked about on the show here numerous times. He proved it. We said, look, if you impose a tax, the thing about the wealthy is is that they're very fungible. They have their wealth in all different forms. And yeah, Elon Musk can go to the bank and borrow money against his stock and that income that he picks up from the bank loan is non-taxable. So he doesn't pay any tax on it. It's a loan that he pays back at some future date and time with his stock. When he sold $20 billion worth of his stock, do you think he paid off some of his loans? Probably. Freed up his credit lines. But see, this is what people in power don't understand. They don't understand that the wealthy have options and and they don't really care. The stock was free to them. You think I care if I have 180? This is like the old lottery ticket, right? It's like, well, you know, if you win a billion dollars in the lottery, it's not that much money after you pay taxes, (laughs) right? (laughs) I got 180 billion bucks. You think I mind paying 20% in income taxes to liquefy that stock? I can't sell it, right? I'm Elon Musk. I can't sell my stock because if I do, I'll collapse the, the price of the company and I'll impact all my shareholders. And I'll impact the markets. I'm, I'm in the top six holdings of the S&P 500. Do you think that if I liquidate a bunch of my stock, that the S&P 500 is going to be trading where it is today? No, of course not. The point is here, this is a good example this is a shot across the bow for these individuals touting these higher taxes on the wealthy. Let's go after those rich billionaires that own public stock. Let's go after Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I hope you liked your Amazon shares at the current price. Because uh won't be there for long if they get their way. Elon Musk for president. It's my thought. Be right back after the break. This whole uh, climate change shift that we're trying to do in the economy certainly has uh, had some interesting side effects as well as some interesting outcomes of this. And, of course, uh, one of those is uh, a couple of years ago, this company called Beyond Meat came out, right? And this was the fall meat company, right? So everybody's going to start. We're all going to go vegetarian now. We're going to eat fake meat because, well, you know. Cows pass gas, and that's that pollutes the atmosphere, and you know all those type of good reasons. And you know it's interesting. Beyond Meat just reported earnings; stock is down sharply because guess what? Demand is waning. No kidding. I you know there's very few people. And look, I I spent a good portion of my life being vegetarian um, for when I was competing internationally to keep my my body weight at a certain weight, and. You know, it's, it's it's interesting, right? It's it's a very challenging dietary requirement to be a vegetarian. You've got to really be committed to it. And look, considering the number of people that actually go to the gym and work out and considering the obesity level in this country, um, <laughs> you know, uh, discipline is the one thing that Americans tend to lack a good bit of. And so it wasn't surprising, this fad. And we talked about it at the time when Beyond Meat came out and go, look, this is a fad. It's going to go away. And that's exactly what's happening um demand for the product is falling fairly sharply as people go mm, I think I'll go back to eating meat um, but this is also having it's not that's just kind of one of those you know early kind of adoptions and we talk about this whole idea of climate change people are willing up front to say oh yeah you know I'm going to I'm going to drive this or I'm going to do this because of you know climate change and we need to be more climate friendly and this is part of what we talked about with ESG investing as well but it only lasts until the point that it becomes inconvenient or costly, and then people start going back in the other direction, because people want convenience and they want lower cost. And you know this is why inflationary you know problems in the economy are, are problematic because you know the higher the rate of inflation goes, the less money I have to spend on other things. I talked about last week in terms of CPI as an example that if you take a look at CPI, you know, it's up, you know, 6% on the core basis. So, you know, if you strip out food, I'm sorry, on the, on the headline basis, on the core basis, it's not quite as high once you strip out food and energy. But for most people, food and energy are things that they consume on a regular basis, right? You go to the grocery store once a week or once every other week, and you go to, you go to the gas station, you know, once a week, whatever, And, uh, you know, Richard was talking about, Richard and uh, John were talking about on Friday that, uh, you know, John's daughter was complaining about the, you know, what it costs to fill up a car, right? And I've told you before, my kids are required to pay for their own gas insurance. They have to pay for their own car note. And, you know, the cost of gas is eating them up because they drive everywhere. You know, they're constantly going out, running around, seeing their friends, doing this, doing that, the other thing. And, you know, they're burning through a couple of tanks of gas a week. And, you know, they've noticed the cost of uh, higher gas prices. So again, once inflation becomes crimping in terms of changing lifestyles, then things change. Same thing with, uh, you know, this whole climate change thing. It was interesting because the USDA is about to increase pig slaughtering at processors to try to tame meatflation. More supply, try to bring down the cost by providing more pork. If If you've been to the store to try to buy bacon lately, you'll know the problem with pork. Right. And this and this and it's an issue, right? This is but now the Fed doesn't count the cost of bacon, but the cost of bacon is surging. If you can even get it right. In some cases, you can't even get bacon. The big the big green push to get rid of coal has had an opposite effect. We kind of experienced a little bit of this uh, last February or February four last when we had the deep freeze and, or, and that, was, that was this past february that's right sure time flies time flies but we had the deep freeze in texas you know we had the problem with the powered outage and you know and part of this was due to you know the grid but part of it was also due trying to shift to you know wind and and solar energy as well and and the lack of production right we just didn't have enough supply of energy california has this problem going on all the time they have, they have these rolling brownouts because For years, they've been suppressing the building of nuclear power plants or energy, uh, you know, other types of energy production plants in favor of wind and solar, and that's fine, except it's not very efficient. And so the problem is you have a lot of demand for energy and you have an inefficient supply of of energy, you have problems. And that's not going to fix itself anytime soon. And so, this whole idea that we're going to get rid of coal. Germany's learned this firsthand, by the way. Germany did the same thing, cut back on their coal production. Now they're having energy problems as well. And now this whole demand to get rid of coal is actually driving the exact opposite because, you know, it's one thing to be green. It's another thing to have your lights on. (laughs) And people are only green up to the point that they want to have lights. And what we also forget is, is that if you want to charge your electric vehicle, you need energy and electricity. And those things come at a cost. And the more efficient the provider of energy, the cheaper the costs are. The less efficient they are, the higher the cost is. And so this is all the underlying problem. An interesting article out. An alleged big wind for, to eliminate coal has turned into a bust and then some. And this was a Bloomberg article um, on how environmentalists pushing mining giants to quit coal has backfired. Here's a quote. It was supposed to be a big win for climate activists. Another of the world's most powerful mining companies had caved to investor demand that it stop digging up coal. Instead, Anglo-Americans PLC exit from coal has become a case study for unintended consequences. Hmm. Seems like we've talked about that on the show here before. Uh, transforming mines that were scheduled for eventual closure into an engine room for the growth-hungry coal business. And while its particularly stark example is not the only one, rival BHP Group was struggling to sell an Australian colliery le- uh, this year. The company surprised investors by applying to extend mining at the site by another two decades, an apparent attempt to sweeten its appeal to potential buyers. Now, this is a problem. First of all, when it comes to the client you know, we just had this debacle at the COP twenty-six global elitist climate change. They all fly there in their private jets and limos and things, and put a bigger carbon footprint than small cities. But you know, they're there to fight climate change, and the problem is, of course, is that they left there. And again, we've got to get down. We've got to we've got to reduce contamination of CO two in the world. And so the U.S. Got to do that, right? Because we're big. we a big polluter. Actually not. If you take a look at U.S. CO2 emissions, we've actually been declining for about the last two decades and are one of the lowest producing countries of major industrialized countries. Um, we're one of the lowest producers of CO2 emissions. Um, however, China is one of the largest and still growing, along with India and others. So again, you know, when you take a look at What we're doing, and it's all fine. Look, again, as I've said here before on the show, I'm all for, you know, saving the climate. Nothing wrong with that. If you want efficient, clean energy, it's nuclear. And we need to start investing in nuclear plants, right? You want to spend $1.2 trillion? Build some nuclear plants. That is actually something where you could spend debt that would pay for itself. Because you spend the $1.2 trillion, you build two, three, four nuclear plants with it. I'm not sure how much a nuclear plant costs, but I'm assuming it's not a trillion (laughs) dollars. But you build a nuclear plant, then it provides energy. People pay for that energy. They pay taxes. That pays for the debt. And after the debt is paid off, you have a profitable project, much like we did with the Hoover Dam back during the Depression. Those are things that actually work. And you supply a very clean form of energy. All for that. No problem with it. The problem is, is that we're trying to impact one side of the business. Let's get rid of that dirty coal. Let's get rid of the petroleum producers in exchange for clean energy. But then again, we forget about all the things outside. See, we, you know, it's a very myopic view of the climate changes on energy because they go, oh, we need to get ExxonMobil. Evil company, right? They're polluting the planet. Uh, The problem is is that there's more to their products than just gasoline. We've talked about this on the show before, of course. If, you know, go take a look at what's in a Tesla, you know, 95% of it, maybe more, is all petroleum products. And then the part that's not petroleum-based, required petroleum of some form to get the other products there, shipping, transportation, manufacturing processes, et cetera. And when you get down into the mining part of the lithium and the cobalt and the copper and all this, massively energy intensive supplied by coal. So the the problem with all this, again, as we kind of talk about where we're headed, is that we've got to start making smarter decisions on not just how we spend money, Because all the tax revenue that's coming in is being spent. More than 100 cents of every dollar of tax revenue is now going to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt. The rest of it all comes out of debt. And that's the irony of the Congressional Budget Office. They're expected to score the Build Back Better plan as fully paid for. That was all just a method of suppressing interest rates, suppressing payouts, mathematical fuzzy math reality none of it's paid for it's all debt because all the revenue went to pay for social benefits everything else you spend is all from debt that's got to be paid back again (laughs) got to be careful the choices you make be right back after the break so a couple of things uh, over the weekend uh, my wife is very happy she was able to put her, you know, fully decorate her Christmas trees. So her Christmas trees were up and decorated, and she's very happy now. <laughs> I'm officially off the couch, <laughs> so. Hey, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, so I told you the story about the Christmas tree, right? So when oh, she yeah. ordered this Christmas tree, it was too short. And so in order to solve the shortness of the Christmas tree, she wanted to get two Christmas trees, and I said no, and that's why I was sleeping on the couch. So she packaged the one back that was too short she sent it back and she went to Hobby Lobby over the weekend and bought a bigger Christmas tree so she's now got her bigger Christmas tree in the living room one (laughs) one for the big guys we we won one (laughs) I put my foot down and I won one it's the only one I'll ever win but I'm going to take it as it is but so she's happy and She's got her Christmas trees Um, on the website today. We have a um, new article out talking about the recent financial stability report. So the Federal Reserve publishes a report called the Financial Stability Report. And in this, they go through all of the potential kind of financial risks for the markets and, and what those might actually be. And it was interesting because, of course, you know, you know, banks and, and the other stuff that they have that they keep a watch on, there's always certain risk in those. And I thought it was interesting because they made a specific note in the most recent financial stability report stating, they said, and this was a, a warning, that the market might be vulnerable to significant declines. Here's the quote from the financial stability report. Prices of risky assets generally increase since the previous report, and in some markets, prices are high compared with expected cash flows. House prices have increased rapidly since May. Continuing to outstrip increases in rent. Nevertheless, despite rising housing valuations, little evidence exists of deteriorating credit standards or highly leveraged investment activity in the housing market. Mm, That might be a little bit stretched. I mean, uh, Zillow is a good example of speculative activity in the housing market. Nonetheless, they continue in the part that I wrote the article about this morning. Asset prices remain vulnerable to significant decline. should investor risk sentiment deteriorate progress on containing the virus, disappoint, or the economic recovery stall. Now, this is interesting because the one thing driving investor sentiment has been the Fed liquidity program, which now they are in the process of reversing. They're starting to taper that. Risk sentiment was driven by the Pavlovian response of quantitative easing in the markets, Right. Don't fight the Fed. Fed does QE, you buy stocks. There's no risk as long as the Fed is doing QE. Now the Fed is beginning to reverse that QE process. The next question will be how long can they sit on the sidelines and not raise interest rates, given the recent run in inflation, and how long it may not last. So in this point, as we begin to look ahead, they're noting that a significant decline could occur if investor risk sentiment deteriorates or the economic recovery stalls, what happens when you raise interest rates? That slows economic growth. That's exactly why you raise interest rates. Uh, Theoretically, you have inflation because the economy is overheating. The problem is now is we have inflation due to supply chain disruptions and economic growth is actually fairly weak. So if you've already got weak economic growth and you begin to hike interest rates, you're going to have a problem economically on the recovery. But let's go back to valuations for a second. They note that the prices of risky assets generally increase since the previous report in some markets. Prices are high compared to expected cash flows. Price to sells currently for the market is at the highest level on record. Market cap to GDP, two and a half times market cap. Since revenue and, and is generated by what happens in the economy, what you and I buy and spend, stock prices are two and a half times what the economy can actually generate. How is that sustainable? Take a look at household equity assets. They're up to $30 trillion. 90% of that is owned by the top 20% of income earners. Yeah, there's, there's no real you know, speculative activity in the markets <laughs> to speak of. But this has all been driven by 12 years of monetary policy. This continued drive of liquidity to support asset prices and markets relative to the economy has now created a bubble of mass proportions now does that mean that it's all going to blow up tomorrow and 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 fall apart no of course it doesn't but the things that you'll be paying attention to as we've talked about here before on the show is that it's the fed stopping qe the fed hiking rates and an inverted yield curve what do you have going on right now well the fed's starting to taper your in curve your yield curve is beginning to flatten fairly quickly And the only thing you're missing is the Fed hiking rates. And historically speaking, it's not all three that trigger a recession. It's one of the three. Last time that we had the yield curve flattening, the Fed hiking rates, and tapering the balance sheet was in September of 2018 and right before that 20% decline in the market. So historically speaking, when you have inflation, rising interest rates, those aren't good for stock prices. And the point about this is is that, you know, while the Fed's financial stability report is simply saying, well, you know, asset prices could be a problem, maybe. If the economic recovery stalls, if investor risk sentiment changes, that's the market. The economy will stall. That's a function of a cycle. Economic growth strengthens. Then it peaks and then it, it declines. So, you know, that's just the way the economy works. So it's eventually going to stall. Now, is it going to stall next week, next month, next quarter, next year, year after next? Who knows? But eventually, economic growth is going to slow. The more the higher interest rates go and the more that inflation impacts spending, the faster the economy will slow. So that's going to happen. Investor risk sentiment is going to change. That's a function of markets. So what's interesting is by the Fed statement is like, well, we can keep doing what we're doing as long as nobody else pushes the big red button. And this is the problem with stability. Financial stability leads to instability. It's a function of market cycles. It's a function of how things work. And instead of, and this is the interesting prospect for the Fed, and again, if I was president, I would fire every one of them and probably just shut down the Fed entirely at this point. So I don't know if they're really doing anybody any favors. Ever since 1980, every financial boom and bust has been directly related to Fed activity. So maybe we should just stop that, right? But if you know asset valuations are extended... And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that market cycle. Then why are you continuing to support elevations, assuming that everything will remain status quo? In other words, nobody's going to push the big red button. We're all going to just stay very exuberant investors. That's never going to change. It's like saying, look, you know, you can drive down the freeway blindfolded as long as There's no other cars in the freeway, and there's no turns, right? (laughs) Well, eventually, something's going to happen, and you're going to wreck. And it's the same thing as this. The Fed knows, and they should know, that eventually, risk sentiment changes. So instead of preparing for that in advance and beginning to to start to put policy into place to help slowly revert valuations, no, we're just going to keep doing things the way we are until it all blows up in our face, and then we'll figure it out then. Sounds like a plan. That article's on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, if you joined our uh, live event, our candy coffee this weekend, I joined Richard Grosso and Danny Ratliff to talk about markets and outcomes. We'll have that posted to the website here soon for the replay. And if you joined it, we'll be sending you a link to it as well, so you can replay it at your leisure. Uh, That'll be coming out in the next uh, day or so from Brent. If you have any questions in the meantime, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send your questions, comments, emails. uh, Keep watching our event calendar. We've got a whole slate of events coming up for next year for you, both educational and informative. I'm RealSanche Roberts. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich